eight there eight, we're seeing more people more here today which is which awesome and a little bit of little feedback bit of so if we can get that <laughs> knocked out all right um yeah so good morning you know there's more people here and i'm excited you know yesterday or actually this morning i was praying that god would just bring more people here in person you know we know that Honestly, 75% of our church is online, and that's okay. You know, we don't want to pressure you guys. Um, you know, those are feeling uncomfortable. But there is something that's incredible, having people gather together. There's an energy. There's an encouragement. We get to encourage each other in our faith, and we miss you guys. You know, and so I can tell you that, that I'm excited today because I get to preach to more people in person versus just in my mind telling me I'm preaching to people online. But we want to do both. But... I started thinking as, as we were worshiping, as Matt was leading us, that I want to put a challenge out there to you. And that challenge is to have a date set in mind that for those of you guys that have been online to come back in person and just say on this date, I would like to come back in person. And that's what I want to do. You know, we are doing, uh, you know, everything possible that we can to keep you guys safe. Believe me, I, like you, do not want to get COVID. And so I am being cautious and Hopefully everything we're doing here is helping us to do that as well. But I do want to have you guys to challenge yourselves if you are online and say, you know, if the reason we're online is we're concerned and or it's just more convenient, then I put that challenge out to you to have a date set in mind to return here back in person. If you guys are online because it just is the way you have to worship. I know we have some people out of state. That's awesome that we can minister to people that aren't here in town. I get it. You're not going to fly back every weekend for church. If you did, that would be great, but I know that's not really possible. So let me open us up in prayer. Um, as we take a look at the vision for the church, as we're talking about renewal, God doing new things, I want to revisit what God put on my heart a little over three and a half years ago and kind of re-roll that out. Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for those that you've brought here today, for those that are watching online. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide my thoughts, my heart, my words, Lord, as we preach your word. And we take a look at your plans, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for those that are traveling today. We pray for traveling mercies for them, Lord. And um, Holy Spirit, speak to me and through me, Lord, as we take a look at your word and what you have in store for us as a church, as your body, Lord, the body of Christ for us corporately and individually. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So at the end of 2019, I rolled out the vision for the church. Emily and I, we just, you know, we just closed out our third year here. And at that time, you know, it took that first year to kind of get a feel of what the church was doing, what was already in place, what wasn't in place. And so towards, I would say, the fall of 2019, I rolled out the vision. That vision is transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. So I need that to get into everybody's head because it's my bad, it's my fault that if you guys don't know the vision, I didn't do a good enough drill to get in your head. So transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. So repeat that. Transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. And our goal, our way that we're going to do that is by becoming maturing Christians, not just Christians. We don't want to just be Christians. We want to be maturing Christians who understand and express Christ's love. Because we can say we think we know what Christ's love is, but do we really? Because Christ's love, and for those of you guys that know me well, you know that I love saying this, Christ's love isn't all the warm, fuzzy stuff. Sometimes Christ's love is in the face, in your face, telling you the truth. 
And a lot of people don't like to hear that, but it's both of those things, and so we have to understand that. And how do we understand that? How do we grow in our expression of Christ's love? It's we need to do three L's. We need to learn about Christ. We need to live for Christ. And we need to lead others to Christ. That's how we are going to transform the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. Those three things. Learn about him, live for him, and lead others to him. That's it. It's a pretty simple vision, pretty simple process, but it takes commitment. You have to stick with it. Kind of going back to making that commitment of when people will come back to in-person church, again, if it is simply a convenience thing, that's what I'm challenging you with. But transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ, that's a vision for the church. It's the vision that God put on my heart three years ago. It hasn't changed. But again, transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. And so today I want to talk about what exactly is a vision. I can throw it out there, but what does that mean? From the world's perspective, as one author put it, a vision statement is sometimes thought of as a picture of your company in the future. But it's much more than that. When creating a vision statement, you're articulating your hopes and dreams for your business. Your vision statement is your inspiration, and it will serve as the framework for all your strategic planning. It's interesting. There is a word repeated there, your, your, your. The church isn't about your, the church is about him. Prior to the pandemic, many churches, especially mega churches, and there's nothing wrong with a mega church. I hope one day we become a mega church. That's my dream, you know, that we are a mega church. But uh, many of these churches during that time, they would view visions, vision statements, or mission statements in a similar way that the, uh, that the business world does. But I believe during the pandemic, with all the things that are going on, I've mentioned to you how people are leaving the church. People are walking away from their faith because they're scared, they're anxious. I was looking at a church that one of my buddies uh, leads in Colorado. They're a church of over 3,000. I was looking at their numbers, and they were saying basically during the pandemic right now, because they're looking for a new pastor, um, basically they're at 1,500 in person. 50%. So half their people are no longer meeting in person. And I've thrown these numbers out to you. So even mega churches, you just don't know it as much. It's happening everywhere. And I truly believe that it's reforming the pandemic and reshaping how churches look at their visions, their vision statement, their missions. And while it is important that we as churches, we use certain strategies and technologies and other tools that have been developed by the secular business and financial world, it's also important to understand what God says about vision. You know, what are his plans for his church corporately and individually? We need to take a look at that. We've got to get back to what's most important. That's the heart of God. John 17, verses 15 and 16. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. That's the thing with the church. We're not of the world, but we're in it. We're ministering. This is our ministry field. The world, the secular world. What, what point, what good would it be if, if the church, if Christians only lived on this island with other Christians? 
Eventually, we'd die out. There'd be no point. We'd be in heaven, but we'd, we'd die out, and we don't want that, right? We want to grow the kingdom of God, and so we are in the world, but we're not of it. So we have to operate differently. We can't view everything as a business or as a financial statement or something. We've got to see what God wants us to do. And so today, we're going to look at vision from a Christian perspective. And first, it's most important to understand that when the Bible is talking about vision, it's talking about a way that God communicates to his people. He, communi- he communicates different messages to his people. The vision could be encouragement. It could be a warning. It could be a revelation of God's will and God's plans for his people. Last week, we talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, how it's so misused, right? Because God's plans and his purposes are different than our plans and purposes. So when you think about a vision for a church, it's something that God places on the heart of a pastor, and it's birthed out of a need, a crisis, or a change that God wants to see. So when we were called to be here in the Bay Area, our superintendent said, you know, who are you called to? What are the people you're called to? What are you feeling? What's your vision that God's giving you for this area? And so we want to see transformation. And my specific heart, the area that I am most passionate about, it's about preaching to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That means it's preaching to people that say they're Christians. They might even sometimes act like Christians. But are they really? That's who God has called me to. It doesn't mean that we don't preach to everyone. But I'm here to challenge those who call themselves Christians to really act like it, but not just act like it, but live it out to truly learn and understand about who Jesus is. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, another mega church here in California, um, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, if you guys remember that years ago. He said this about vision. A church without a vision is never going to grow. And a church vision will never be larger than the vision of its pastor. So you as a leader and as a pastor must have God's vision for your church. The very first task of leadership is is to set the vision for the organization. If you don't set the vision, you're not the leader. Whoever is establishing the vision in your church is the leader of that particular church. A church will never outgrow its vision, and the vision of a church will never outgrow the vision of its pastor. This is so important to understand that God's vision for a church, it's not developed by committee. And it's not something you vote on. I've met people that think that, and that's just not true. It's expressed through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the pastor's heart, his faith, and dream for what God wants to do through his church. It's part of a pastor's calling. It's a burden and a blessing. Being able to share and move a people to carry out God's plans and purposes for whatever church a pastor has been called to. When I thought of this, I thought of like Pirates of the Caribbean or different, uh, different movies where you have captains that are on a boat. There's a vision. Captains have a place they want to go. Maybe it's to find a buried treasure. Maybe it's to go to some island, to go inhabit it or whatever. But sometimes, right, 
things get a little challenging. Sometimes the wind is gone. I think it's called, what, the doldrums, I think, you know, and you're just kind of sitting there, and, and you feel like you're not going anywhere. And what happens? People start complaining. They start griping. And there's a mutiny. And all of a sudden, you have five people trying to be captains. Well, if you have five people trying to be captains, if you have five people thinking they have the vision, you're not going anywhere. People have to understand that. That it's something that God places on the heart of a pastor. But it's that pastor's duty to share that. It's his call and to move people to carry out that vision. He can't do it by himself, just like a captain of a ship. He can't float the boat all by himself. He needs people to help him. And that's all of you, the body of Christ. We have to carry out this mission and vision. So what are some other things that we have to think about or understand about vision from a Christian perspective? Well, vision, it creates focus and perspective. So very similar to what a secular vision for a company has. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people are, are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Again, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. So this verse is saying, with no knowledge of God's plans and purposes, people lose focus, or maybe they don't have any focus at all. This can lead to chaos, confusion, and disunity, which can lead to sin, and we end up looking like five of the seven churches we talked about in the book of Revelation. That maybe we're acting kind of Christian. Maybe we even love our neighbors, but we've forgotten to love God. Proverbs 29, 18 also says, Happy is he who keeps the law. What this means is when people are obedient and they follow God's plans and purposes, when the Spirit of God is leading a church, not the Spirit of man leading the church, you'll feel blessed. You'll be overcome with joy. I like how the Message Bible puts it, and I don't really reference the Message Bible much, but sometimes they make things really clear, so you just got to be sure what you're interpreting there. But this passage, I would say, they put it in such a very clear way. It says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But they, when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. That means follow the vision, even when it's tough to. Because when we don't follow the vision, we stumble all over ourselves. We gripe and groan. We moan. We complain. We fight with one another. We're disunited. And that's not what God wants. God wants a united church. An article about church vision said this, it encourages unity, creates energy, provides purpose, fosters risk-taking, enhances leadership, promotes excellence, and sustains ministry. I think those are all things that we want to experience here at the church. Another aspect of vision that we learn from a, or from a Christian perspective, and this too is similar to the business world, that a vision needs to be communicated. And that's why earlier I said, hey, I take accountability. Back in 2019, I will also blame the pandemic, but, you know, I got to own up what's part of my, you know, my doing. 
I didn't communicate the vision well enough. Again, what is the vision? Transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards a goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. So the vision, it needs to be core recorded. It needs to be written down. It, need to, it needs to be posted in different places so people see it. So it's remembered and it can be repeated over and over. The reason why is the reality that God's plans and purposes, as we talked about last week, sometimes they take time. For the exiles in Babylon, it was 70 years before they came back home. This church just turned 70. We just celebrated our 70th anniversary. That time of 70 years, what if there was a plan, a, a bigger plan and vision God had, and he's like, it's going to take 70 years. Things take time from our perspective, not God's. We have to remember that. So vision, it's more than just a goal or a dream for a church. It's also an encouragement. It's a reminder that God will accomplish His plans and purposes in us and through us if we're obedient. That's the key. It's a key to our faith period. It's obedience. It's will we listen to God or are we going to continue fighting Him? So I want to reshare the first part. We'll go into even more details about those three L's, learning about God, living for God, and leading others to. And we'll talk more about that next week. But I want to reshare what I talked about. The first thing God put on my heart three and a half years ago, I believe we were in San Clemente. We were on, you know, on the boardwalk near the beach. And God said, unite the church. And at that time, I didn't know what he was talking about. How do you unite a church? What, what does that even mean? We're one church. But the longer I've been here, I understand more and more what we, he was saying. Are we truly one church? Do we really have the same goal, the same vision? Do we really truly work together for one purpose, and that's to glorify God and what he wants us to do? Or do we bicker? Do we complain? Do we question? And I'm not just talking between two ministries that we're very blessed to have as part of our church. But even within our own ministry, are we truly united? And that's a hard thing to ask yourselves because it stabs right at the heart of who you are, what you've been doing for years and years. Are you truly united or are you divided? You know, unity is essential for any church to be effective in accomplishing God's will, His plan, and His vision for a church, and it is actually the way he desires his people to live. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen. Absolutely. When we live in unity, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, 
From there, the, from there, the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. Emily's like, you're going to have to explain that because people are going to be like, what the heck, beards and oil? What's going on? Well, basically, you know, God is comparing. He's saying unity in a church is as incredible as when Aaron was consecrated, when he was anointed to be high priest. And so when they did that, they put anointing oil on him. It was sacred. It was special. That's what unity is. When we are truly getting along, when we have one vision, one place that we're heading, one place that we're going, it's like a priest, a high priest getting anointed by God. The psalmist goes even further, and he uses the illustration of dew falling off of Mount Hermon onto Mount Zion. Basically, he's talking about that refreshing that comes from a morning dew, that refreshing, that like, whoa, that breath of fresh air, that excitement that you get if you've ever walked in the morning on fresh cut grass that has that morning dew on it, that's what it feels like when you are truly united as a body of Christ. Do we feel like that, church? Do you feel refreshed? You have to ask yourselves that. The significance of unity is ex expressed even further in 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, Christians, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wow, that you're perfectly united in mind and thought. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. That doesn't mean we're robots, but it means our focus is God that we want to submit to him and his plan, that we understand what a vision for a church is, and we want to carry that out. It's not what I want, what you want. It's this was the vision that was downloaded. This is what the pastor is sharing. This is what we're going to do. But that's hard because people want their way. People think this is the only way to do something, right? That's how we become disunited. But God's telling us, I do not want you guys to be divided. I want you guys to be of one mind, one thought. Imagine that. Imagine if every day, if someone comes here, they're like, this is the mission and vision of the church. This is how we're going to get there. This is what we're doing. That's all of our goal. Imagine how incredible. That is refreshing. That's incredible. I want to see our church become that kind of church. Because I don't think we are that church right now. And I'm not afraid to say that. The question is, are you afraid of saying that? We need to be honest with ourselves. Unity is so important to God and His church that He specifically reminds Christians and churches in the Bible about unity and how not having it causes problems. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18 I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. That's why churches were warned about false teaching People will come and say all kinds of things that sound very Christian. They may say, oh, you know, this will be a great way to accomplish this for the church, or this will be, you know, 
Are they listening to God or themselves? Are they trying to flatter and deceive? Jude 1, verses 16 through 19. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. That means it's the spirit of man, not the spirit of God that's leading them. We're warned about this. Even Jesus himself now, the point Jesus was making was different. He was defending people who were challenging who he was. But listen to what he says about unity. Mark 3, verses 24 and 25. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. This is the house of God. If it's divided, it won't stand. If anybody ever wondered, why do churches close? That's because there's division in the church. It's a problem. The grumbling, the complaining, the not being obedient, that's a problem. It kills churches. It's not because God wants them dead. It's because the people inside of them killed the church. We have to own our own mistakes. So how exactly is it? Because, yeah, I don't want to leave you like, oh, this is terrible. This is horrible. Because it is. It is terrible and horrible to be disunited. So how do we build unity in the church? Ephesians 4, we'll start with verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We need to be built up spiritually. So we need to mature in our understanding of Christ to learn about Christ, right? One of our L's. We have to mature, and that starts with our knowledge and understanding of Christ. We also have to grow on our relationship with Him and our expression of our faith and how we live our lives. We want to be the light of Jesus. We have a relationship. So even if you have this incredible knowledge of the Bible of Christ, if that's all you have, well, that's not really true faith. You can know all these incredible things, but if you don't live and act like a Christian, then maybe you're not. It can't just be a head knowledge. It also has to be a heart experience. It's both. It has to be both. It also can't just be all relational and all heart and no knowledge of God. Then you're talking all kinds of crazy stuff. And I've met people that say they're Christians that talk all kinds of crazy stuff. Versions of the Bible that you had never even heard of because they made it up. We have to watch out for that. We have to mature in our faith. So as we continue, so this is Ephesians, and these, this is verses 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. So let's break this down a little bit. So continuing to mature as Christians will help us from being influenced by false teaching or watered down versions of the gospel. Unfortunately, many churches are watering down the gospel because they are afraid that they're going to sound judgy. Well, who cares what the world says? We should only care what God says. Scripture tells us if you're embarrassed of me, I'll be embarrassed of you. I don't want to be embarrassed of God. Why would we do that? Why would we risk that? Continually maturing, also, continually maturing as Christians, it also helps us to be more Christ-like. It helps the body of Christ grow and build itself up in love. That's why next week we're going to talk about love, because it drives this all. And it helps each of us accomplish our part in God's plans and purposes for His church. We want to be maturing Christians. Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3 and Romans 15 verses 1 through 6, it gives us another key to unity in the body of Christ that's so important. So here's Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. It's not always easy. Humble and gentle, not always easy. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Again, love drives all of this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And then Romans 15, verses 1 through 6. And I think I'm just going to explain this as we go. It's probably better to do it that way. It starts out, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Boy, that's harsh. I love that verse. And you guys probably don't, but it's harsh. But I love that verse. But we have to understand what that means. What does it mean to be strong? Does it mean that I'm just physically strong? No, no, no. What it's talking about is maturity in your faith. It's, it's maturity as a Christian. So we who are more mature in our faith, and I know that sounds judgy and harsh, but it's real. So we that are stronger in our faith, we need to be patient. We have to be patient with the struggles of people who are maybe on the beginning of their faith journey. We talked about that yesterday in our prayer meeting. Some people are at the very beginning of their faith journey. You know, some people, even though they've been to church for 30 years, they're still at the beginning of their faith journey. So for those that are maybe a little more mature or maybe a whole lot more mature, we have to be patient with those who are less mature in their faith. This means people who are, you know, maybe struggling with their understanding of Scripture. Maybe they don't know a whole lot of the Bible. They haven't, you know, really taken a lot of time to study. And, and I don't want to say that's okay, but it's okay where they're at. We have to embrace them where they're at. Maybe they don't understand how to apply Scripture to their lives. And maybe they're not living out their faith as well. So we need to be patient with them, not just pleasing ourselves. And what that word in Greek means, to please, it means willing service or help. So basically, we have to be willing to help Christians who have not maybe matured as much as they want to 
or as much as we would like to see them, we have to be patient and we have to help them. We have to encourage them. We need to help them grow in their faith. We can't just leave brothers and sisters where they're at. But in order to do that, we can't just look at ourselves and say, I want to mature in my, my faith. I want to grow and become more righteous and more, more holy than everybody else. We can't do that. We have to say, hey, it's awesome. I love where I'm at. I don't want to stop growing myself, but I want to help everyone else grow in their faith. Each of us should please our neighbors. We should be willing, helping them in their faith for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they forbid, we may have hope. So what we're saying there is that Jesus, God in the flesh, he didn't come to earth to be served. Scripture tells us he came to earth to serve. That's the model. We want to serve others to help them grow in their faith and their relationship with God. And how incredible is it that the scriptures, things that happened in the past, they're there to encourage us to endure, to push through so that we will have hope. So we'll have hope. Scripture helps us. Our faith helps us to have hope, to have expectations that God will do something. Verse 5, may the God who gives you endurance or gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ had. Christ sacrificed for others. He loved others. We need to have that same attitude. And I love verse 6 because it sums up unity. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's unity. We want to be united at this church. In the English ministry, we want to be united. In the Nichigo ministry, we want them to be united. Together as one church, we want to be united. We shouldn't have two visions, two ways we want to accomplish things. No, we're one church. And when you talk to people that have been at Peninsula Hope Church most of their lives, if you've ever had, if you ever talked to to back in the day, if you had a chance to talk to Harry Hagaki about how this church started, maybe talk to Harrison about it because he, he knows a lot about that, you see that this church was birthed out of a united vision about a ministry caring about all of its members, even those that didn't speak English, so much so that the Nichigo ministry, the Japanese language ministry, was birthed out of that. It was people supporting one another. It wasn't people fighting over money, people fighting over who gets to use which room. It wasn't people fighting about what food gets put out, what food doesn't get put out. That's not what people, that's not what a united church does. That's what a divided church does. It uses little earthly things, worldly things, to divide, to upset. We need to combat that. How do we combat that? By maturing in our faith and expressing God's love. Amen. So let me end with this, this conclusion. What is our church vision? It is transforming the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. Here's the thing. For anybody who said, what's the vision for the church? Now you're going to get annoyed because you're going to hear it all the time. But we need to. We need to share the vision because how are we going to believe it? How are we going to accomplish it if we don't do it? If we don't know it? If we don't repeat it? If we don't share it with others? We want to transform the Bay Area and beyond 
through the love of Christ. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for the vision. Lord, we're casting it out. Lord, thank you for each and every individual, Lord, that you are going to use specifically for Peninsula Hope to help us to accomplish your plans and purposes. Lord, as we are being transparent and honest, Lord, about divisions, Lord, that maybe we have caused, maybe, Lord, people before us has, called, uh, has caused, Lord, we want to call it out as sin. And we want to repent of our sin because we want to be a united church. We want to be a church that expresses Lord, your love by loving others. Lord, help us to be patient with others, Lord, who are wanting to grow in their faith. Help us to push them, encourage them where they're at. Lord Jesus, I pray you, Holy Spirit, would guide our words and our actions, Lord, because we aren't smart enough to do it on our own. But with you, God, we can do anything. So I pray for our church. I pray for encouragement. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the joy, the peace that transcends all understanding, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, praise God. We have a few announcements, and then Pastor Emily is going to come up and lead us in communion. So if we can uh, pull up our slides. So today we have communion. So for those of you guys on YouTube Live and those of you guys that are on Zoom, uh, go ahead and grab something, some communion elements, um, and then we will break bread here together. And then um, we have mixed groups today at 11 o'clock on Zoom. Just use your regular um, church service link. And for those of you guys on Zoom, for those of you guys on YouTube Live, I want to encourage you, come to your community groups because... Or, or come to the mixed groups today, community groups next week. We want to see you guys. And especially if you are on YouTube Live and no one gets to see you, we want to connect. We want to keep that fellowship going. So please join us uh, for mixed groups today at 11. Um, and now let me pray for our offering, and then we'll have Pastor Emily come up here and lead us in communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for your many blessings, Lord. As we start a new year, thank you for your um, grace and your, your mercy, Lord Jesus. And thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Um, each and every year, Lord, you have come through. Lord, this church has never gone without. You've blessed us with an incredible building. You've blessed us with incredible resources provided through your people. So we just pray over the offering received today, Lord. I pray that you would um, help us to be discerning on how it is used. Lord Jesus, again, if there are individuals that have never given a tithe or offering, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to their hearts, Lord, that they would take that first step in trusting you, Lord. As we're talking about maturing, Lord, um, tithes and offerings are a, a, a test of faith, Lord, and that is all about maturing in your faith. It's trusting you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that people would take that to heart, that they would stretch themselves, that they would have that mustard seed of faith of trusting you, Lord, with finances in their lives, Lord, and that they would um, give back to you what is already yours. And so we just pray all these things in your name. Amen.